Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus our Lord. God has been very good to us to give us yet another Sunday together where we are called into His presence as His people. Can we say amen? Amen. None of us here are perfect or sinless, but I hope most of us have done our very best to be good this week. Um, I know that may sound funny, but you'll understand a little bit more what this means later. But even as we walk like the children of light, there are going to be times when others can take some of the things that we do and say wrong. And people can think we're sinning against them when we might not even be doing that. When this happens, and it does, um, our question today is how are we going to respond to that? When we do wrong and we reap the consequences, we at least understand why, but when we're working hard to please the Lord and our motives get questioned and our actions get questioned, it really can open the door to temptation and even despair. We can be very angry about this. David had a lot of times like this. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see over and over, David is coming to God because of this. Over and over and over, he's coming to God. Lord, I haven't done anything wrong. Lord, they're out after. They're trying to get me again, Lord. Lord, do something about this, Lord. And this is, this is a very big theme of Scripture, so maybe it might be worth considering today. We're going to. That's what Psalm 17 talks to us about. Psalm 7, which many of the young people, many of the, some of the older people have memorized as well, is a psalm like that. It's our call to worship today. If you've memorized it and you want to say it with me as I say it, you can... Join me, I'll read it the way I would read it, so don't run me over. All right? Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest He tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands... If I have rewarded evil unto them that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in my heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made ready. He hath prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordains his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and he digged it and he has fallen into the ditch which he made. 
His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come upon his own pain. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let us pray. Lord, we come into your presence, Lord, looking to you for judgment. Oftentimes we, in our prayers, ask for you to judge the right thing because we know in the situation that we are right. But we don't always pray for that, especially when we're wrong. I pray today as we come before you realizing our sinfulness, Lord, that we would rely on you to remind us of the power of your blood to forgive us, Lord. And as you have forgiven us, Lord, that we would forgive others. We pray as we come in your presence, hungering, Lord, that you will feed us, longing to be more like you through your voice and the power of your creation, the new creation of your words in us, Lord. Make us new every single day, Lord. Renew in us a clean heart. Create in us a clean heart and renew in us a clean spirit. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... And my text for you today for my sermon is Psalm 17. My sermon today is called About Faces. Everybody say, About Faces. About faces. Our soldier and actors back here probably know what an About Faces is, and this has nothing to do with that. Uh, but About Faces. I'm going to read it for you, and um, looking forward to sharing this with you. One thing I'd like to say today is... That God gathers us together in His presence and when we come together, it's like the sun shining on us. It's like the rain falling on us. And as we come together in His presence and we hear His Word, we take in the sun, we drink in the rain from God, we grow. And oftentimes it doesn't really happen uh, in a spectacular, super fast seemingly miraculous way but you know as I've been working on my book uh, recently I've been writing about things in my past and I remember when I met Ashley and when I met Jeff Brownfield or whatever and how long ago has that been long time 15 or more years isn't that crazy maybe maybe closer to 20 that's a long time but it happened one day, one Sunday at a time. And what God has done is a, is a wonderful thing. He's taken people who were not a people, amen? And He's formed them together into a people. I believe that God is establishing a church that will be here for generations and generations and hopefully until the consummation of all things. God's not in a hurry. And we don't need to be in one either. We can just enjoy the sunshine today. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved my heart and thou hast visited me in the night and thou hast tried me and thou shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by the right hand, which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from the deadly enemies who can pass me about, they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy for his prey. And as it were, a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint them. Cast them down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is 
thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men whose the world which they have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with the hidden treasure, they are full of children, and they leave the rest of their substance to their babes. But as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to the time in the service, particularly where we want to understand your word and we want to hear your voice. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill me with your spirit and that it would pour forth from me and speak to all of us here today, that we would hear you and be like the sun that changes, the sun that feeds the, the world. Lord, feed us today and make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The face is an amazing thing. You might not really have given it a lot of thought, but this, this thing right here, Corinne, you, got, you like my face? I've got, I've got some stuff on my face, maybe not everybody has. But this face is an amazing thing. This small piece of real estate at the top of our bodies that serves as its helm as well as it's public relations department, Brother Steve. Eyes and ears, mouth, nose, cheeks, chin, all the parts that make up our faces. Now you may be saying to yourself, this is a very silly thing. I can't believe that Pastor Mark has brought us in here in the Holy Convocation of the Believers to talk about the face. But do you know God made it? And He made it something lovely and beautiful. And there are things about our face that teach us about God and about our relationship with Him and with others. And besides that, it's not a silly thing to talk about because that's what Psalm 17 is talking about. And we teach through the Bible here because God's Word has its own messages. I can't imagine ever having you know, come up with, by myself, the idea that I'm going to preach about the human face today. Um, but when the Bible talks about it, what are we supposed to talk about? what the Bible says. So here in Psalm 17, Psalm 17 is about faces. To be more precise, it's about three faces. And wouldn't that be neat if I were wanting to do a three-point sermon? Three faces, three points, but you're not so lucky today, okay? Not just three points. We're going to have a lot of points. But there are three faces here. One is our face. Everybody say, my face. The second face is the face of our enemies. Say, the face of my enemies. And the third is the face of God. Now, you probably want to get off of your face. You probably not like to think about the face of your enemies. And you'd probably like to get right to the end to the face of God. But this psalm brings us first to David's face, who's praying the prayer. It then moves us to the face of his enemies. And eventually we do get to the face of God. So if I were simply going to preach a sermon about this subject, those might be my points. And in a sense, the points will be a focus for us. They were David's when he wrote the song in prayer, so keep those three faces in mind. The face is such an important part of us. I began to think about it. You know, God puts something on your mind and if you love God and you want to understand, God could have made us any way, Tim. He could have made us any way He wanted. Some animals are made different uh, than other animals. Some animals are made different from us. But we are made very particularly the way we are made by God for an important purpose. Now the face has some obvious practical functions like eyesight and sound. You know, we can hear. Uh, we can smell. We have speech. It's where all of the food comes into our bodies and water that we need. More subtle and less essential, but still very, very valuable, are our nonverbal communications controlled through the 43 muscles in our face. Did you? How many knew you had 43 muscles in your face? I didn't know that. 
thought maybe there might just be one big one there that just kind of, you know, does a lot of things. Not everybody has all the, I think I may have more. I think I might have more. Not everybody can move their face around or pick up, you know, one eyebrow at a time or both or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe it just takes practice. I don't know. But uh, the face is where we look, uh, we look at people and oftentimes we can communicate to people without saying anything. Some of you have joked about coming to me with an issue and we're talking about it and they say, when Mark's eyebrow goes, we know that maybe we, and they're like, what, 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 what? They've been around me long enough to know that that eyebrow somehow inside my heart and mind involuntarily goes boing, you know? It's kind of like the toaster. It pops up at a certain point when it's done. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, something's got to happen here. But the face is where we look to see if we know someone. Um, there's a weird thing I saw years ago where a person, uh, there is this head injury that you can get that you cannot recognize anyone anymore. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's a certain part of your brain totally dedicated to facial recognition. And if it's damaged, you do not know who your wife your children, your friends, you don't know who they are. They have to come up to you and begin talking to you to tell them who you are. But if you can't, if that place is gone in your brain, you don't know who people are. Now, when we look at people who we know, we look at them different. Have you ever found this to be true? Have you ever, have you ever been maybe in a disguise and someone doesn't know you like, or, or a costume or, or something, and they don't know you and people look at you like this. But as soon as they realize who you are, what does their face do? Their face kind of does that, right? You ever, you're walking through, you know, you're walking at the Ohio State Fair and you just see strangers, 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 and out of nowhere comes Christina Hatfield, and what does your face do? All right? Your face instantly animates when we recognize that the body walking toward us has a face on it that we know and love. Isn't that a funny thing? You know, I was thinking, those people that believe in evolution, I would love to hear about this. I would love to hear how they think 43 muscles developed in our face so that our eyebrows come up and our smiles do this and we do this and all these things. And frown. I would love to hear this. I would love to hear their explanation how the body willed itself over 300 million years to do that. Now, when we're hurt, we often withhold this animation of affection. You ever notice that? Someone in your family's hurt your feelings or someone you know and when you normally would look at them and you go, you know, what do you do? Right? Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. In fact, the Bible refers to this. It says, Lord, hide not thy hide not thy face from me. What does he mean? Is he, what, we think God hiding? No. He's talking about what people do. People, you know, Nathaniel's done something wrong and he knows it and he knows there's trouble between us and he walks up and he looks to me and he looks to me to like look at him like I normally look at him and instead I go. You ever do this to anybody? Come on, you know you do. You've done it to me, you knuckleheads. In fact, sometimes I'm preaching and I look down there and, you, and I just see, yeah. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to talk to them after church. I've either hurt their feelings. Do you guys not look at people's faces? We avoid looking at people in the eye when we withdraw our former invitation that's normally there to come, to come closer. They don't want to be face to face with us. When someone has done something, done someone else wrong, or when they feel wrong, oftentimes they hide their face when they've done wrong. Maybe, you know, you know Steve has done something wrong. He, Elaine told him, do not drive the BMW to whatever it's going to you know break down and then we're going to miss the thing we're getting ready to do and Steve goes I want to drive it anyway and both wheels fall off of it and the entire family doesn't get to go to the zoo and Steve finally shows up in his Uber back home and what does he do right he does not want Elaine to look at him and go I told her that I am she didn't even have to say a word, right? And not that she's mean, but, but do you understand what I'm saying? The idea of the face. This is, this is what's being talked about here in the Word of God. The face is the first place we look to find out if someone approves or disapproves or understands us when we're talking to them. We're having a conversation. You ever do this? You're talking and 
Sometimes Jeff, you know, his expressions honestly confuse me a little bit. And I'm talking to Jeff and I'm like, are you, are you there? Hello. You know, I'm looking for someone to go, yeah, that's great. I'm interested, you know, and I'm like, Jeff, are you, did, did your face go numb, you know? You know, what, what's going on here? And he's my buddy, so I can say that. But, but people have, some people really, their only problem in life is they don't really recognize what goes on in other people's faces. And as a result, we think something's wrong with them, and there is a little bit of something wrong with them. It's that they have no idea what you're talking about. It's kind of like text messages and emails. We don't really know what's going on, right? We get an email and we don't know if they're saying, come here now, or come here now. You know, like we don't know exactly what it means. We just see it in letters and we don't know. And so we look at the face of people and, and we don't know what they really mean by what they're saying. It's an important thing. And the Bible is pointing us to this in Psalm 17. We look someone in the eye and we, we, we you know, I'm talking to Elizabeth and I look at her and I go, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't that how you look at people, right, Corinne? You ever do this? You're talking to your dad. You're like, Dad, do you understand what I'm saying? Right? And that what we do? We look, you're like, Dad, Dad, are you thinking about Miss Andrea right now? Could you just snap out of it for just a moment? I'm here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Right? That's what we do. We get, we get in people's faces. We do this with little children. We grab them by the chin. Look me in the eye right now. You know, you're in trouble. So now there's really no exact science to this. And... But it's all very interesting. Okay. Now, often the face is the only way we know or we have to judge what kind of person someone is who's standing in front of you. We don't really know, but the judgments, they're not always right. But a lot of times you can tell a lot about a person just, just from their face. The face can also give us hints, and I've sort of hinted to this already, about invisible things going on inside of people. Steve is filled with turmoil, and where can we see it? On his face you know ask the right question to somebody and you'll find out what they feel about something their face they can't even help it their face will make this you know some that's why people go are you are you doing okay and and, and are you doing okay and it's hard for the face to lie so are you doing okay in the van and the van goes i'm like i'm like and then she got yeah i'm doing fine i'm like i'm like yeah i saw that like you the face wants to tell the truth. I don't understand this. God made it this way. The face wants to tell the truth. And it does. Whether you, you may be really good at concealing what you really think or feel. You may think you are. But people who know you and love you, they look at your face and they know. So when you want to know if someone's telling the truth, where do you look, guys? You look at their feet? You look at their hands? Where do you look, guys? Look him in the face. Have you ever stood your child in front of you and said, look me in the eye and tell me that story again? Yeah. You want to make sure that they're telling the truth. And it might be easy for someone to not be honest with you when their face is not right in front of yours, right? They're on the phone. That's why people don't deal with people directly. They call them or they text them. Love you. While their face is going, I'm so hurt, I'm so mad, I don't want to talk to you, I'm really busy. Because if you could see their face, their face would say, something's horribly wrong. Now a quick look over this whole psalm makes it plain to me that the musical poet David, the part of him that wanted to offer God something intricate and pointed, used the face itself to tie the whole thing together. Luke, you write a song, right? And when you write a song, you're, you're not just wanting to just rhyme any old thing or say any old thing. There's, a, there's an overall picture that you're trying to get here, right? And so if you were going to take Psalm 17, it's going to be an artistic picture of a face. That's what it's going to be, because that is what it's all about. So I'm going to do it real quick. I'm just going to run through the whole psalm, and I'm going to point out a couple things. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. I'm going to go verse by verse through this, but I'm just going to show you real quick. Now, remember, the face are your ears. It's your nose, it's your mouth, it's your smile, it's your eyes, it's all of that, okay? So David says, hear the right, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to the lips. Give ear in verse 1, uh, that my prayer goes not out of my feigned lips, okay? Verse 2, he talks about, let your eyes behold the things that are equal. 
Thou hast proved my heart. Thou be in the night. Thou hast tried me. Verse 3, I am purposed from my mouth, okay, that I shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, the words of thy lips, down verse 6, uh, incline thine ear, hear my speech. Show marvelous loving kindness to me. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Verse 10, they're enclosed about with their own fat. Their mouth they speak. They have compassed me about with their steps. Their eyes are bowed down to the earth. And you go through it, you'll see this over and over. And when it finally comes down to verse 15, he says, as for me, I will behold thy what? Thy thy face and so this this is a poem and a song I believe that is centered around this subject now before we go through all of it verse by verse I want you to do something for me I'm gonna read three verses that I want you to picture and I'm gonna do this in the ESV I know I I quote a lot and I preach from the King James Version but as, as I'm finding we are not the King it's the King I know but when you're working on the Kang Chin translation of the Bible, Kang will get in there sometimes, okay? So the King, the King James Version of the Bible. So uh, the, the, the King James Version of the Bible is a little bit more difficult to see these things in them. So we're, I'm going to use the ESV a little bit to help us out. So I'm going to read these three. And when I do, I want you to see David like, like a son of God, Jonathan, okay? And he's, he's standing before God and he's trying to get God by the shoulders and he's trying to get God to look into his face and believe him because he's trying to say, I'm telling the truth and I want you to look right at me and understand. That, that's what you're going to see. So I'm going to read it. Can you do that for me? Okay. So just kind of have this picture in your mind. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free from deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your be eyes behold what is right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. And Lord, you're going to find nothing wrong in me. Can you kind of see what's going on here? David is he's trying to talk to God and he wants God to see that he's not wrong in this situation. He, with his face looking up, crying out to God, knows that he has done nothing wrong. And he appeals to God for help on this basis. This is much better than turning his face with anger to his accusers and being tempted with vengeance or even better than defending himself. Oftentimes when we are wronged, we defend ourselves or we get angry and we want to hurt other people. Is that what we do? That's what we do. What did Jesus do when they reviled him? He reviled him back. Is that what it says he did? No. In fact, it says in Isaiah and it says in the New Testament that he didn't even open his mouth. He did not speak against them in any way. He did not return to their faces that were lashing out in him with anger and hatred and reviling him. Hey, why can't you save yourself if you're the son of God? Come down from there, right? They're, they're doing that. And what does he return to them? What kind of face does he give them? He offers them the face of forgiveness. Not only does he forgive them and not open his mouth, he could have accused all of them. He could have named every sin that they had done, but yet he kept his mouth shut. Could you do that? If you knew, Corinne, could you imagine this? If you knew everyone's thoughts and every sin they did, if they were coming and accusing you of wrong and you hadn't done wrong, could you keep your mouth shut and go, well, I know what you've done and I know what you've thought and I know who you are and who do you think you are to talk to me? I'm the son of God. I think that might have been more what I would have done on the cross. Because I would have known. But Jesus was taking a lot of great restraint here. And what did come out of his mouth, Steve? A prayer to God. To do what? He asked God to forgive them. That's what he did with his mouth. Imagine if that's what we did with our mouths when people hurt us. Wouldn't that be amazing? If when people hurt us and talk bad about us, even if everything they said wasn't true, imagine if we turned our mouth Instead of to those people, we turned it to God. What would happen to this church? What would happen in your lives? I can tell you right now, something really good would happen. The Bible says what we're more tempted to do is to bite and devour one another. To talk bad about each other. To accuse each other of wrongs. To say, you have treated me wrong and, and you have done these things. The Bible says, Paul said, I would rather just be wronged than to do that. 
But that's not what we do. We cry out with our mouths and we set our faces against people when God is inviting us here in the psalm to turn our face where? To God and say, God, you know. Lord, you know what I've done in this situation. I, I didn't do this thing. I didn't do anything for them not to like me or to not to want to be with me or, or, or turn away from me and reject me. Lord, I, you know I've done right. But that's not where we turn our face. We turn our faces and we say, why do you treat me like this? And why don't you like me? And why are you cutting me out of your life? And why are you withholding your face of affection to me? Why are you doing it? Because we're suffering and we're hurt. And God is showing us through this psalm that that's not what we do with our faces. We turn our faces to God in these instances. Is this what you do when someone thinks they know the wrong that you've done? That's a real good question to ask ourselves today. Starting here in verse 1. Hear the right, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. David is asking God to hear his loud and passionate cry. You'll see that in the Hebrew. He's crying out. He's, this is a deeply emotional time for him. His cry is that he is innocent of something. We're not sure what it was. Others think that he's done, but it, there's something in particular. Now, David is not saying this. Don't hear this. Don't hear that David is saying, I'm righteous. I've never done anything wrong. We know what he said a couple psalms ago, right? There is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. We're all undone. We're all ungodly. David isn't trying to say, look at me. I'm right. I'm good. I'm a good guy. They're bad. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, in this situation, the one I'm bringing to you, God, I haven't done anything. You guys... You ever done this? You've done 20 million things wrong to your husband, to your wife, to your mom, to your dad, to someone at church. You, but, but you didn't do the one thing they're convinced you did. Anybody ever had that? Come on, raise your hand. The one thing, the one thing that you didn't do is the thing that they got you for and they believe it and they're just going to beat you over the head and you're just like, ah! Now, I try to help my kids with this by going, well, just imagine the 19 things you did they don't know about. And you won't be so upset. But we're not. We really get worked up. When someone thinks we've done what we haven't done, it really, really gets us mad. So he calls out to God to look at him, to look into his face as he speaks to him, to see lips that are flowing with truth, not lies. I've been guilty many times, oh Lord, you know, but, but right now you know you're God. Does God know when you're innocent and when you're guilty? Yeah, he does. So, so you can't go to them and go, Jonathan, you don't know. I know you really believe this about me, and it's really not true, and, and you need to quit thinking. We can do that, right? But what does he do? He looks at the one who knows. Everybody say, God knows. God knows if we're guilty or innocent. You, you're not always going to be able to convince the person that's close to you that you're not guilty. And we are oftentimes bent on doing it. We can't move on to the next thing because they think we're guilty. I've done this. I found myself just kind of like, you know what, I'm trying to love my wife, and what she gets out of it is that I'm trying to be self-centered. And then I'm like, ah, I'm self-centered a lot of times, but not this time. I was doing what was right, and now you just think that I'm this bad person, and I get all worked up. Folks, let me tell you what that is. It's the pride of life. We're proud of it. When we do something really nice, you know what we want them to know? We want them to know how nice we are. When we're really kind to someone, you know what we want them to know? We want them to know how kind we are. We want them to appreciate it and appreciate us. We don't like it when they don't. Why? Because we're proud people. I mean, if in that moment we could remember, well, of course they believe it because I stepped on their toes and walked across them and, and grabbed food, you know, and about cross-armed them across the face to get a piece of chicken, you know, whatever. He looks up in prayer as if he's looking in the eyes of God. Here in verse 2, let my sentence come forth from thy presence and let thy eyes behold the things that are equal. He's saying, God, you know. God, you've seen. Let your judgment come forth. Whose judgment should we want more than anyone's? So why is it so important that people think we're good? I remember as a young person, I remember there was this girl hanging around my family and, uh, and she nailed me so bad. There was a situation like this, and she goes, you know, you are so concerned with your own goodness, it's kind of disgusting. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I thought I should be concerned with it. She's like, it's really gross. Like, 
you care more that people know you're good than actually being good. I'm like, you know. He's confident though of God be His judge. I mean, if you're really that good, look at God and tell Him about it. He really knows if you are. He's confident that if God is His judge, His judgment will show for the righteousness of David in this situation. Some of us have certainly been there in this place. You haven't done anything wrong, even though your accusers are certain that you have. Oh God, let my sentence come from you. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? Rather than having to have another big long talk that never really works out too good, we're going to have to talk. I need to sort out that I actually didn't do anything wrong. And then it's going to be okay after that. (laughs) Those conversations don't work out too good. Stephen, we're going to get together. And in the end, once you come to the conclusion that you were 100% totally wrong and I was so righteous that it's just, (laughs) well, I can't even believe it how right so was. Then we're going to get along. Folks, and when that's your standard, prepare yourself to live a lonely life. Okay? If you really love people, you can be wronged by them because truth be known, if they knew half of what you thought, if, you, if they knew half of what you were really guilty of, you'd be too ashamed ever to look them in the face. If I could see your face, God, you would see that things would come out fair. Verse 3, Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me. Thou shalt find nothing. I purposed him uh, that my mouth shall not transgress. He's, he knows what's coming next. He knows that he's going to do Now, when this guy speaks, bad things happen. He's the king. What could he do? He remembers other times when he said things he shouldn't say, like, go put this guy at the head of the battle. Go bring Bathsheba to me. When he spoke, things happened. Bad things happened, right? And here he was. He's the king. I'm trying to remember what king it was. Which king was it that uttered those words that caused that man to be killed that broke his heart? Was it Henry VIII or was it King Richard? Who was it? There was this priest that was driving him crazy. Thomas, uh, Thomas Abeka. And he's like, oh, if someone would just deal with that priest. And they go... And at the altar, they, they kill him in his church. And that was his friend. And later on, he really regretted it. It's a horrible story. He said, I am purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. He said, my conscience is clear. Not only in my actions, but even in my motives. This is when we really have a hard time dealing with it. Not only did we not do anything, we didn't even want to do anything. You ever try to explain this to somebody? Listen, I didn't do it. And even if I could have done it, I didn't want to do that. I don't think that way about you. I love you. God, look deep inside me, David prays. You can see what I'm saying is true. He communed with his heart and God upon his bed, and he found that his motives were right. Have you ever done this? you ever searched yourself and, you know, someone's accusing you or someone thinks something bad about you, and you're just sitting there and you're going, and you're thinking, well, am I right? Am I wrong? Did... You know, I can't see it, but I, you ever do this? And he's like, I've communed with my heart, and I, I've prayed about this, and I've found that I still haven't done anything wrong. He's troubled with this. And, and when we really, really spend our time doing this, oftentimes it actually makes us angrier. And you'll find that he's calling to God here because of these things. He's thinking about it. He's dwelling on it. How many of you have spent, have wasted a lot of time dwelling on the hurts of other people, what they think of you, what they might think you've done wrong. I know I have. David seems to keep moving from his own face to the face of God. Lord, look at me. And and Lord, I want to look to you. And Lord, look at me. And I know if you look at me and you'll see. And he's going back and forth from this. Seeing that in his rightness in this situation, his pride may cloud his mind though, he stops. He doesn't want to be tempted to forget anything good that came in his life comes from who? comes from God. You know, when we are all worked up and we're angry at people for the things they think about us that aren't true, we need to remember it's a mercy of God that anybody ever thought anything good about us to begin with. David understands. Here he is. You know what? He's come to the conclusion, Jonathan, that he's right. He's right and he should, they shouldn't be mad and they, he, they shouldn't treat him this way. 
and he's right not only in what he's done, but all the way down in his heart, but he stops and he's like, oh, wait a minute, Lord. David understood what 1 Corinthians 10, 12 teaches, right? He that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so he appeals to God the one who keeps him, and he calls on him in verse 4. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. He's realizing that in the moment in his rightness, and this is something, and I, I actually forgot to copy this from Calvin. I read this from Calvin. I wish I had the words here in front of me. But he said that we are often never more tempted and susceptible to the traps of Satan than when we are the most right. We're 100% right in our heart, in our action, in and everything. And right in that moment, we are really, really in danger in that situation. Because when you are right, you can really do some bad things. You can really be hard on other people. And you can really be primed for a fall. When you're concerned more about your rightness than about loving someone and offering them love and forgiveness. You've kept me from the paths of the destroyer. David acknowledged it was the mercy of God and his preserving power that has kept him from the guilt others have placed upon him. Verse 5, hold my goings, hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Our strength is from God. We must never forget that he is the well, the source of all of our good, and without him, there's no good thing. We used to call what David is referring to here as backsliding. And the Bible refers to this. He's asking God here to help his foot not to slide. Verse 6, I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. He intensifies his petition to be heard by God. Not to say somehow that, that God can't hear him, but to remind himself who he's calling on and why. He hears us when we pray, people. And He loves to hear the prayers of His people. Amen? In fact, James tells us it's the effectual, fervent prayer. Sometimes we wonder why things get in such a bad way. God will lead us to a place of fervency. James tells us that being fervent and passionate in our cries to God accomplishes much. To be fervent is an evidence of our faith. It shows that we believe He's listening. We don't cry louder and louder when we believe no one's really there. Right? There wasn't anybody there. Hear me! I mean, do you guys remember blind Bartimaeus? They told him to be quiet, right? And the more they told him to be quiet, the louder he cried. Why did he cry louder, Andy? He cried louder because he knew Jesus could heal him. It was evidence of his faith. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Be quiet. Jesus! Why did he cry louder? Because he believed that if he could get the attention of Christ, if Jesus would stop, he could have his eyesight. And he was right. And so here David is. He's becoming more fervent. Folks, do you know when we pray, you don't have to, Lord, help me out. Hope this works out. Lord, no, no. Folks, you should, you should redouble your prayers. You should become fervent. You should be more like the persistent widow that was there going, I want this. I want this. I need this. Please help me. Bring this thing. And the persistent widow, what does she get in the parable of Christ? She gets what she Verse 7, Shoving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them that put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. It is in your right hand and your power that I trust, O oh Lord. Your kindness is marvelous. You will deal with his enemy. So, do you see what he does? He keeps tempted, being tempted to deal with the enemies himself. But what does he do in this psalm? He understands who's going to deal with his enemies. It's going to be God. And so he says this in verse 8. He says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. David realizes that he needs to be protected by God, not only from his enemies, but from whom? From himself. In verse 8, we hear this petition similar to the one at the beginning of Psalm 15, right? Psalm 15 begins, Preserve me, O God, right? 
It's also similar to the one in uh, chapter 7 that we quoted a couple times today here. There is a real sense that we, that in whatever David was accused of, that his life, that he was in danger, he believed. If what they were saying true, proved to be true, something bad could happen to him. Simply being accused can be enough for some people to be done with you or to assume that you're guilty. That's why we're very careful about what we say about others. What they've done, what they think we've done. But I mean, I wish we could at least do what our criminal justice system does. And we don't even do that. Our criminal justice system, if you get accused of a crime, what are you, Luke? You are innocent until proven. Could you imagine if we offered the people in our lives that, just that? But we don't. We know it. We know what they're doing. We know why they did it. Bless God. Smite them. Strike them with lightning. Leave them, leave them a greasy spot on the ground, God. I'm really good. I haven't done anything. Show them how good I am, God. So David realizes he needs protected from his own self-righteousness, his own words that might cause harm, and he needs protected from these people because they're trying to hurt him. And so he asks God to keep him. And he puts these two images up for them here in, uh, in the next verse. He says, or in the verse we're dealing with, Keep me as the apple of thine eye and hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Now, when I looked this up, and, and I actually tried this out on my kids and my wife, and, and apparently they were not subject to some of the educational pitfalls I was growing up. Maybe you were. I don't know. But when I hear about something being the apple of someone's eye, for me, that's always like something special. Like, you know, uh, I looked in the candy case and I saw the apple of my eye right here. It's the thing I want. It's the thing I value. I look at one of my children, you know, like, like uh, David, or not David, but as in... Um, when Jacob was looking at his children, he really, really loved Joseph, right? He was the son of his old age. And someone might have said, Joseph is the apple of his eye. He's his favorite. That's what I always thought that meant. But that's, that's not what it means here. And the reason I thought that is it is an old English saying. It's something you'll find in Shakespeare. It's something you find in the 1600s in English literature. This phrase, the apple of the eye. Somehow it got put right here in this verse. And it can be a little bit confusing because... It, it, it does mean that in English. Uh, but there certainly would no, be no reason why a you know, 3,000-year-old manuscript would have an old English saying from the 1600s, right? Right. So basically, the apple of your eye is people. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, and as I was looking at it, I'm like, what? And you can see the eyeball, right? Inside the eyeball, there's this little apple, this little thing in here. And as I started studying this and looking deeper into this, what David is asking for, and he's using, of course, the face, and he's using these eyes here. He's using, he's saying, I want to be protected like the eye is protected in your face. So not only the eye is set back behind some bones, but it also has the closing of the eyelid, right? And not only does it have that, it has the muscles that will even do it. But even inside, the eye, the apple of the eye can do what? When there's a lot of light, what can it do? It can close. It can stop that light from coming in, right? And so the eye is the symbol of protection. It's the most sensitive part of the body, and it is protected heavily. And so that is what is going on in that phrase. He's saying he wants to be protected with layers and layers of protection by God. We know this because he makes the example with two things. And the second thing is, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. This phrase is a bit more straightforward and easy to see. The mother hen holds out her wings uh, as the birds afraid swoop down. Uh, and she shields them from them and she protects them. She protects them from the heat of the noonday sun. Uh, you've seen a bird do this, taking their wings and holding them out. If you remember Jesus in Matthew 23 he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stone them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee together even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, but they would not. He's basically telling Jerusalem he's not going to protect them from what's coming next. What was coming next to them was judgment. Save me, O God, David cries. David is calling out to God to protect him and to save him and preserve him 
as he had in Psalm 15 and Psalm 7. Now David turns to the faces of his enemies. They have faces like a pride of lions on the hunt, vicious, and they're looking for an opportunity to attack. Verse 9, from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about, slowly, patiently, they circle him. Oh God, Lord, they're circling me. Look at them. They're like hungry lions. Save me from this evil. Can you see the hungry, snarling faces of these evil, wicked lions coming after me, oh God? David cries out. The Bible says the devil is like this, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 10, they are enclosed in their own fat with their mouth. They speak proudly. They are proud. They're fat. They roar against me as if to say, we eat well because we always take our prey. They roar against David as he is weakened by the sound of their roars and he knows that his only help is from God. Verse 11, they have now compassed us in their steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. There's this picture. Have you ever seen the, the lion on the hunt? He's looking and he's looking down at the ground for tracks. He's telling he's, he's, it's the face of the lion. Look at their eyes, these greedy evil beasts who are not even hungry. They just want to kill me. They cease not to look for me, to, to try to find me. These predators will have their prey. And I am in. Oh God, save me. Verse 12, like the lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were, a young lion lurking in secret. says, they're hiding, they're waiting to jump on me, to tear me to the ground. Oh God, save me from their blood-soaked faces. He's sounds like he's pretty passionate to me. Verse 13, arise, O Lord, disappoint them. Cast them down, deliver my soul from the wicked with thy sword. He's once again saying he's going to turn his face away from his enemies and turn his face to who? He's turning his face to God. Everybody say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If we could learn that, if we could even learn that with our own brothers and sisters, if we could even learn that with our own husbands and wives, Vengeance is yours, O Lord, I long to see it. Wet your sword, bend your bow, strike them down in their pride. David shows that they are not mere beasts, but they are men. Men whose lives surround only the temporal and they take no thought for eternal things. In verse 14, he says, save me from these men. Here they are, O Lord, men of the world. Men who have their portion in this life. Ready to say, this life. Whose belly thou fills with treasure. They're full of children. They leave the rest of their substance to their children. He's saying all they think about is them and their life and their children and what they eat. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said we should not be thinking about all the time in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, right? After these things, do what? Do the Gentiles seek? They worry about what they're going to wear and where they're going to live and what they're going to eat and they're focused on their life and their family and that's what their life is all about. But not me, Lord. That's not who I am. Their life and all they gather together, their wood, their hay, their stubble will burn. But Lord, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. I don't want to look at their faces anymore. Take them out of this world and blot out the memory of them. It's you, Lord, that I want to see. And in verse 15, we get to that. The last verse of the psalm. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and I will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David wants to look at God and even see himself in the face of God. Folks, if you could see yourself in the face of God, you know what you would know? You would know that God looks at you and He sees you not as you see yourself, not as your enemies see you, but He sees you clean. He sees you standing in a white robe before Him. He sees you with righteousness that Christ had that you do not. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's why it's going to be good to see the Lord and look into His face because He sees us like that. We don't even see ourselves like that. David's grand hope came from looking at the face of God for his approval and not the approval of others. For, for God's judgment was always true and not the judgment of others who did not know his heart. May this be our prayer today. If only we lived our lives to please God. If only it was his face we longed to see. 
than when the others turn from us, when they, they hold back their recognition of us, when they abstain from the welcoming affection that they normally give us when they begin to despise us. We should not despise them. May this press us ever nearer to the face of God. This is what we can do in this life, and in the next we will do what would kill a man. Because we can't look on the face of God truly right now as we are and live. God's Word said that if ever, after man sinned that no man could see the face of God and live. But as we heard in Isaiah's vision of heaven, the angels themselves right now, they have wings that they fly with and wings they even cover their feet because their feet touch the ground and they don't even want the filth of the ground to be in the presence of God. But what do they do with their other wings? They cover their faces. As we learn several places in Scripture, thanks be to God for Christ who came. One day we will behold God and we will see Him how? Everybody say it with me. Face to face. God told Moses that He wanted the priest to bless the people with a very particular blessing. I've been trying to do this. I've been in some of your homes. But if you listen to the voice of God in this blessing, you will hear what God wants for us. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His what? Make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You see, He wanted them to pray that we would long to see His face. Not for us to stand in the mirror and look at ourselves. Not for us to look at over our enemies and look at the people in the world. But to behold whose face? His face. He said, thus doing so, this is how I will put my name upon my people. I'm closing here with a few more verses from the Bible here. John, 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear but what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall see Him. For we shall see Him as He is. You know we can't even see God as He is right now. It says in verse 3, And every man that hath hope purifies himself even as he's pure. We don't look in the mirror and decide we need to purify our lives. We look at God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then how? Face to face. For I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. This is what should be our call to holiness, to a life set apart from the world. And finally, Andy read for us out of the book of Revelation what scholars call the beatific vision. The last verses of the Bible that give us the picture of the consummation of all things. And in the consummation of all things, there's a lot of beautiful things there. There's water, there's trees, there's a golden city, but there's something there more precious than all of that. He showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the street thereof and on the side of the river, there was the tree of life which bare the twelve manners of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. But there shall be no more curse there. And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And verse 4 says, And they shall see what? His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads. This name that God places on us as He blesses us is seen, and the blessing is that we see His face. There shall be no more night there, for they, there will be no need for the candle, neither the light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever what should we long to see today guys the face of God when people think about us and they accuse us and they and even we accuse ourselves what should we do we should turn away from the face of our enemies from even our own face and we should turn to the face of God for his judgment and when God looks at us he will judge us righteous because Christ has come and he has covered us and washed us in his blood let us pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for giving us another day to worship you. Lord, for taking away the clouds and shining upon us, Lord, and letting us grow in the beauty of your countenance. Lord, I pray today that you would bless us, 
that You would keep us, that You would make Your face to shine upon us and give us peace, that You would lift up Your countenance to us. Oh, and bless us today. I pray today that this would be our heart's cry as it was David's in Psalm 17. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.